Coming up on the Travis Makes Friends podcast. I started my first company before I went to college. Okay. So we raised capital in 2000. And how much did you raise at that time? About $20 million. Luckily, my mom convinced me to go to college, but there was a period of six months. Like as an entrepreneurship school, you expect the school to build entrepreneurs, but that's not really what they do. You naturally gravitate to the worst companies to help them. <laughs> where you should do the opposite and gravitate to the best companies and figure out how to accelerate those. To maximize them, yeah, yeah. Like on the spectrum of like super, super boring to really sexy, where are your deals ending up on that As spectrum? boring as possible. Okay, that's what I thought. You wanna fix the problem. If you have back problem, problems, right, like or pain, you wanna fix the underlying thing. Yeah. So I wanna be in that industry. I don't wanna be in the painkiller industry of being like, okay, well, I'm gonna help your back pain for a little bit. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an episode of the show. Today, I'm making friends with David Hauser. David was an easier yes for me because, first of all, he is a Las Vegas resident, as am I, uh, so it made it a little bit easier for him to get over to the studio. Um, and then I, I've been kind of leaning back in the direction of talking to a lot more entrepreneurs lately, um, especially people who have started with nothing and then accomplished really big things. And I mean, David is the textbook definition of that with over $250 million in exits combined in all of his companies to date. He is somebody who now acquires companies that are doing anywhere from a million to 15 million in EBITDA, and then he helps them grow scale um, and then exit the company. So uh, David is somebody who has all of the attributes of a solid startup founder. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him to try to reverse engineer that mindset as much as I possibly could and distill it to, to those of you who are listening or watching this right now and are maybe starting thinking about starting your own first venture um, and just don't know where to get started and don't know if you have the right tools and resources and skill sets and mindsets and all that kind of stuff, that imposter system that gets, that gets in the way. And I wanted David to come in and talk to, talk to you and, uh, and give you some advice on how he would handle that exact situation. So uh, this is a fun one. Please enjoy my conversation with David Hauser. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I am making friends with another Las Vegas local, David Hauser. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was hilarious. You walked in here, and I was like, I feel like I know you from somewhere. And you were like, do you go to Lifetime? And I was like, yes, I do. So it turns out we've like been accidentally not running into each other slash running into each other for like the last five years or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it took somebody on your, some team to reach out and book you for my show for us to actually sit down and talk. So. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Like, I, I, I'm like, I know this guy. I, I right away <laughs> placed it Lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, it says something about our, our uh, you know, desire to stay healthy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, Every day at Lifetime, I, I love it. Like it's part of a routine, right? Like yeah. my wife makes fun of me. She's like, you know, 
you go to Lifetime, even if you're not working out. I'm like, I know, because I want to shower, exactly. like do my routine every time. It's so funny you say that, dude. Like, I, I don't re- like really remember the last time I used my own shower in my bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shower at Lifetime every day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's like I use hotel showers when I travel or other Lifetime gym showers yeah. when I travel. And then when I'm home, I'm just, I'm at the gym. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. hilarious. Well, dude, welcome to the show. Um, I... I lately have been trying to um, uh, talk to a few more entrepreneurs who've kind of been there, done that, bought the t-shirt a couple of times, uh, because I find that sometimes people just need that little boost of confidence to say that, hey, I can do this too. Um, So let's rewind the clock and go back in time uh, to pre-entrepreneur days. Um, Let's go 13, 14-year-old David. Talk to me about like, you know, home life, uh, set the scene for us. What was life like for you? Yeah, I don't think there was really ever pre-entrepreneur days. I think okay. there was, you know, kind of pre-larger company uh, days. Sure. Um, I, I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur, and I think it it really came from a, a drive to prove people wrong. Okay. Um, I struggled a lot, you know, reading, writing, you know, those. I, I went to tutoring five days a week. Um, I was years behind uh, when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay. Um, and I think just got that chip on my shoulder, like. I'm going to prove people wrong. I'm going to be the most successful person in my class. What, what did your parents do? Uh, my mom was an educator for years, um, ran schools, was a teacher for a while, uh, and kind of continued on that path. And actually now uh, has gone around the world running international schools. So oh, no um, the last few years was in Mumbai, India, before that Myanmar. So uh, very different. Yeah. Uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah. What was it weird? for your mom that you weren't excelling in school when that's like her domain? Um, I don't think it was weird as much as like she wanted to support it as much as possible. And I think that was the gift that she gave me that, you know, my parents had the, you know, means to afford the tutor. I was in a very odd school, very small school, very progressive, no grades. Um, So it wasn't that I wasn't excelling, but my parents gave me the gift of learning how to learn. Got which it. is very different than, you know, memorizing something or yes. doing something. And yeah. that's benefited me for years. Were you in that type of a schooling situation because of, you said you were struggling with reading and stuff like that? Or was that just like how it was from the beginning? And then you just- That's just how it was. Was it like, was were you having trouble focusing? Were you just not catching on to certain things? Or you tend to catch on to other concepts rather than these concepts? Or- what, what exactly do you think? Um, and just context. I'm asking from a parent perspective because, yeah. you know, my son's about to go into kindergarten next year. And so, um, you know, we're applying for all these schools. It's such a weird <laughs> thing uh, to have to worry about now. But um, we're, you know, actively looking at this type of stuff. So I'm, I'm genuinely curious, just like yeah. when I see, when I feel like I hear stories of parents who do it well, where there's, you know, something like that happens and it's like, oh, well, you know, this doesn't work, but that has zero bearing on whether or not our kid is going to be successful. It just means that we got to like, let them explore and discover how they're going to learn what they're interested in and like, let them put the pedal to metal on that, you know, rather than forcing this, this square peg into the round hole type of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I started in that school when I was two years old, so I don't think my parents necessarily had an idea of like who I was was yet. Um, (laughs) definitely wasn't struggling at two years old because there's not much you do at two years old. Um, but you know, they definitely had a belief in that type of education, which was much more about hands-on, 
learning okay. than it was about grades and uh, memorization. Would that be like a Montessori type? That's the closest. The, okay. the name of the school is City and Country. It's a progressive school okay. um, founded by Carolyn Pratt, a great book um, I learned from children. Okay. Um, she wrote this book a long, long time ago, and she really understood how important it was for children to touch and feel and do something to mm. learn rather than sitting there. Yeah, so yeah. the school is very much based around that building with blocks and all of these things. Okay. Um, and I, I, I loved it. When I was little, I thought it was weird. <laughs> um, but now I'm like, th this was the best thing that ever. And so, and then your dad was an entrepreneur. Yeah. So was this like, he had one company that he ran for 30 years or was he just always kind of like, I flip this and I do that and I freelance here and I, and I just make money somehow and he don't really know how. No, one, one company, his father's company. Okay. Um, import export in, in New York. Okay. Um, you know, he's, he, he pretty much said to me, I don't want you to go into this business and, <laughs> and ended up selling it when I was young okay. uh, or selling the majority of it when I was young. So, uh, I think he engineered making sure I didn't go into it. <laughs> um, but you know, I, he definitely taught me a lot of lessons sure. um, in showing me how to work hard and, and such, but also in the things that he implemented for me and said, like, I can remember my first computer. I wanted a Dell computer. It was $5,000, $6,000 at the time. And he's yeah. like, that's fine. You can get it, but you're going to pay it back. And here's the plan and houses. Like, so we built that together. Sure. And that was like the first lessons of like, that's fine. If you want this for your business to build something, no problem, but yeah. we're going to you're, you're going to be responsible for it and you're going to pay for it. Yes, exactly. Like it's okay to want things, but also you got to go figure out a way to go get it. Mm. It doesn't just get dropped in your lap, yeah. even though he might've had the means to be able to drop it. Oh, he could have paid lap, for it, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> when, when he sold the company, was he more just like trying to focus on raising, like raising kids or was he doing other things at that point? No, I, I, he's, he was able to spend a lot of time with us as kids, obviously. How many siblings? I have one sister, okay. younger, three years. Um, you know, so he, he was able to spend a lot of time with us. I think selling the company was much more uh, about a transition plan for him and the people in the business than it okay. was about anything else. Like okay. his time stayed the same. He still okay. worked there got it, got it. and kind of continued, but um, we were privileged in that how much time he was able to spend with us. Yeah, to maintain some flexibility there and yeah. things like that. That's super cool. Do you, you guys still have a pretty close relationship with your parents? Yeah, so days? my father's not alive anymore. Okay. Um, my my mom is, and I, we were just in the UK uh, to see her and family and kind of gather oh, there. Nice. Uh, we went to Lisbon after that, so that was that was nice. And mom's just a world traveler. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, she's actually on an around the world ticket right now. Oh so, no way! Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. How long ago did Jet pass? Um, three years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. pretty recent. Sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like he did a pretty damn good job though. Yeah, so. he, he did. He did. Yeah. Um, and we were privileged to the amount of time we spent with him and the gifts he gave us um, and really showed us like, it's, it's not about things. It's really about experiences. And mm. he showed us that early in life and invested, probably over-invested um, to a fault in, in some of those areas. Um, so he died with not very much money. Uh, because he spent so much of it on education for us as children um, and experiences, going places, doing That's things, awesome, not buying stuff. I'm sure he didn't have a single regret in that sense. You know Hopefully. I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, um, I was just reading a book on this. Um, oh, what was it? Uh, the Algebra of Happiness by Professor Scott Galloway. Um, I've really like, liked a lot of his stuff lately. He's really um, just kind of thoughtful, introspective kind of a guy. Um, but he was talking about, talking about that, about the, you know, top regrets of, of people and things like that. And, um, 
one of the biggest ones is spending money on things rather than experiences and, you know, not doing that. And then another one was like not spending enough time with the people that you love, you know what I mean? So, uh, for, for your dad to have, uh, gone out spending his money, but doing it in a way to enrich his life and, um, love the people that he cared about the most is pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome story. So, um, okay. So you are, uh, you're younger, you're, you know, not in love with school, you're, but you're also able to kind of explore some other things, but you said that you, that being an entrepreneur was just in your DNA and you were doing it from the very beginning. So what was your first memory of like a business or like selling or hustling something? I think it was jewelry, um, okay. uh, making and selling earrings, like, cause that was the easiest thing to kind of put together with like beads or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but very quickly that progressed into like a real genuine love for technology and computers and figuring oh, yeah. out like, okay. you know, I, I can build things that are not physical in the world, right? With a computer yeah. um, and having access to that in school, like that really sparked something for me um, way before high school. So probably, you know, sixth grade, something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it was pretty early on. and. Wow realized that and that just progressed so like coding and stuff like that or yeah i mean like with filemaker pro like originally like just kind of doing like little stuff yeah, yeah. um and you know self-taught myself a uh, number of programming languages before high school and um just knew that i loved it mm. went went to high school and was building web pages for people and doing like small kind of entrepreneurial things what, just to what, make what money was this uh, I graduated in 2000, so, you Late know, 90s. 98. It's a pretty good time to be building websites. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, in terms of timing, it's probably pretty good that you were, like, at that stage rather than, like, six years older during that time. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Because then that's when you get involved in all the dot-com bubble and everything like that. But now you're coming out of high school, and it's probably a pretty good time to get to tech because the the bubble just burst, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was in it when that bubble happened. So okay. um, I was working with a company down on Broad Street, which was like in New York City. That was where yeah. all the internet companies and, were. And this You were working for them in high school? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I started my first company, you know, biggish company um, before I went to college. Okay. So we raised capital in 2000. Oh, no way. <laughs> like after As the bubble. As a 17-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And how much did you raise at that time? About $20 million. Oh my gosh. Uh, so it was a lot of money. We brought in a CEO. We, I, I left and luckily my mom convinced me to go to college, but there was, <laughs> there was a long, there was a period how of six months. Six months. I was like, forget this. I'm not going to college. This is silly. I got this internet thing going on. Yeah. Like th I'm just mom, doing this. Give me $20 million. <laughs> I'm 17. Yeah. yeah like, so, <laughs> uh, but she convinced me and there was only one college I wanted to go to. Babson College. Okay. Um, for wow. entrepreneurship. Okay. It's the number one entrepreneurship school, both undergraduate and graduate. Okay. And I put all my eggs in that basket. Yeah. I shouldn't have gotten in. Like, there was no way. Well, but why not? <laughs> Just because grades or something? Or yeah. What? I mean, grades, like I had okay SAT scores. Yeah. I had okay grades in high school because mostly I just didn't put in the effort. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I never really studied for anything, just kind of. But did you tell by. them like I'm an actual entrepreneur and with a company that has? Yeah, money I tried. I don't think they listened to that. Um, <laughs> they don't care about real experience at colleges. No. Yeah, I mean, so I, I went to eleven open houses or twelve open houses. I went to everything I could possibly do to get my name like in their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Tried to get a recommend. I got a recommendation from a professor through a friend of a friend. Like I did everything. Yeah. They ultimately said we're not going to accept you first semester. We're going to accept you second semester because we know people drop out. 
So like, it's part of their, like, they just, that's how they backfill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? right, right, right. So like, that's how I got in, right? They're like, if you're willing to start second semester, you're in. We'll, we'll, we'll replace someone who, you know. Didn't make it. Replace some attrition with yeah. David Hauser. Yeah. Um, but obviously you got in and ended up going pretty well for you. Yeah, I, I did very well in college. How was the general experience in terms of, you know, social life, academic, like holistic perspective? Yeah, it's it's interesting because like as an entrepreneurship school, you expect the school to build entrepreneurs, but that's not really what they do. What they do is they they build, for the vast majority, they build intrapreneurs, meaning people that are going to work within big companies and be creative and hustlers and have that entrepreneurial spirit. Are, are, are like people who go to a school like that, are they mostly coming out and getting like Wall Street jobs or like consulting or big four accounting type yeah, or, or like, you know, within a large company and building a career there or okay. things like that, right? Um, but what it did amazingly for me was built a skill set that you can actually train on f- that actually makes you a better entrepreneur. Mm. How to read a P&L, how to negotiate, right? The H- HR, right? Like all of these pieces that are skills you can learn, yeah. but you can't teach someone to be an entrepreneur. Sure. And obviously, they 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 want to teach you how to write a business plan and other pieces or skills. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're really good at. Would you recommend it to a seventeen-year-old trying to be an entrepreneur? I, I would. I think it's one of the best colleges from a. Let, well, let me let me caveat that. If if we're not talking about a top ten or even top twenty-five yeah. entrepreneurship or business school, yeah. And their option is like the junior college, and then maybe I can transfer to state school after a couple of years. What, what, like, I guess, what would your recommendation recommendation be to somebody that's like that's that's the path? They're, they're, they don't have really a. a I I really like the, the Babson curriculum because it's <clears throat> not a it, it's not a you know liberal arts curriculum. Okay. It's really hands on, and it can be utilized almost anywhere. Okay, right. So, so I, that, I like that, that place in particular. Yeah. Would be a, a like yes, go for it. And there's other places like it, right? Sure. That have that focus on building usable skill sets in the real world. Yeah. Not that you, not that studying, you know, ancient art is not important. It is. Sure. But it's not a useful skill right. in you know the world that you're yeah, going to go. It might next. help you be well rounded as an individual, but it's not actually going to help you get an extra dollar on your salary. At or get any dollar, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Might actually give you less dollars than yeah. your salary. Um, okay, so college ends up going pretty well for you. Um, you're, I assume, just doing businesses, starting different businesses during that that time. That entire yeah, time I ran there. a bunch of small things here and there. Okay. Um, sophomore year to junior year, uh, started Grasshopper. Wait, well, what happened to the first company before you went into college? Uh, return Path. Um, yeah. So that company continued on and. Uh, had a CEO and an executive team and uh, acquired seven other companies and ultimately sold a few years ago now. Um, okay. And so, you were the founder of that company? Yeah, me and four others. Okay. So you and four others had this company. Like, wh- why, why, did you, why did you leave? Like, what, what made you just go like, I'm going to go to school. Other people are running this. I'll let them do everything and we'll see how that goes. But I'm, I'm going to start this other thing. I think my mom really convinced me the power of maturing during college. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't her pitch wasn't about education. She's like, "Look, you found a school that you'll love because it has the right curriculum, but college is much more about taking the time to mature as a human being, to be independent from your parents. Like those things were much more valuable." And she luckily understood that and convinced me of it. 
was it weird going to college knowing that like a lot of kids, you know, going to college, are just like, I wonder what I'm going to do. Like, what's my job or how do I get a job where like, did you have this kind of feeling where like, well, I can graduate and go work for my own company. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, I know somebody who's hiring and it's I, me. I'm not sure that I even considered that an option. Like I really? kind of just moved on. I was really? like, I I'm on That's to the next wild. thing. Like I bought a car. Like that was what I bought with some of the money um, when I left. And I'm like, that's all I really needed. Like, I just wanted a way to get to and from college. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. So sophomore year, you start Grasshopper. Yeah. Okay. So breakdown, was this like part of a school project or was this just like you and your spare time working, you know, hacking away at a computer? Yeah. So um, it became part of a school project, but it wasn't originally. Uh, it was really just fill fulfilling my own need. Okay. Like very simply, Grasshopper provides a virtual phone system for entrepreneurs. So you know, I was using a home phone, a cell phone to run businesses and it just wasn't working very well. I'm like, yeah. there has to be a better way. And just hacked together and built the original software to make it work. Um, met, a, met my co-founder who was at Babson a year ahead of me. Okay. Um, we weren't friends, didn't know each other at all actually. Um, and luckily became great partners and still buy and sell companies together today oh, nice. and, you know, 20 years later. What were the roles? Um, like you just kind of like, I'm the, I'm the tech guy, you're the marketing guy or whatever. We, we didn't really even talk about it. It was really? weird. Like it was probably the worst way to possibly do it. <laughs> um, like just bad all around. Yeah. And it worked out because we had a shared vision to build something great. Uh, and we had complimentary skill sets. We just didn't know that. Hmm. So there was a lot of luck involved. Sure. But yeah, it That's, was, it, it was split, is, right? you know, kind of, I was doing tech, um, and building and, and things like that. He was doing the original marketing, like when we started. Okay. That changed over time, like 12 years b before we sold the company. Uh, I kind of took a much more of a leadership role in culture and core values and purpose, and uh, then converted marketing to be much more metrics driven, and he became much more brand driven. Okay. Um, but again, like it just naturally progressed. You yeah. never even, I, I don't even remember a conversation about it. But Gr Grasshopper, I mean, blew up. Yeah, I mean, how how big was this company at like its its biggest? So when we sold it, we were doing about thirty million dollars a year ARR. Okay. Um, we, ARR, yeah, like like annual recurring revenue, yeah. software based, very sticky, low churn ARR. Yeah, so I mean, churn is not necessarily super low. It was about two percent a month, uh, one and a half, two percent a month. That's pretty low. Um, <laughs> yeah, but when you compound that over a year, you actually have to replace a lot of customers because we had lots of small customers. Oh, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So call that 10 to 12% a year okay. of your customer base churns out. Okay. When you when you think about it. Um, so we had hundreds of thousands of customers, which meant we had to acquire tens of thousands of customers a month. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, like so we we did we were doing about $30 million ARR, um, hundreds of thousands of customers. Yeah. Now the company today uh probably does about a hundred million. Okay. Something like that. How long ago did you sell? Uh Five years ago, nice right pre-pandemic days. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. way, way, way yeah. before that. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe it was even six years ago. Okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when you were when you were building that company, how were you able to focus your entrepreneurial energy into one venture for that long? Did you ever feel pulled to like I'm doing this or I want to do that or this other thing came up or this I I'm experiencing this problem I want to solve that one this is getting boring to me I, like was it was that ever part of the conversation Oh I mean unfortunately I made that mistake so many times okay. at, at Grasshopper um we even built a internal kind of venture studio 
and wasted millions of dollars in time building other companies. Oh, really? Um, one of them, Chargerify, was actually successful, probably by mistake, but uh, we, we, we would have been far better off investing in Grasshopper and the growth okay. than in the distraction. So you were, you, were taking, like you were taking profits from the company to go invest in other potential concepts? But even worse than that, we were like taking people's time. Like, hey, Travis, can you help me like with this? Members. Yeah, like, hey, you know, I, got, I need this SEO done here. Can you, yeah, can you yeah. do this, right? And rather than spending the time doing the thing they should be doing, right. they're like, of course, David, I'm going to help you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, I don't um, have another option. So it was a tremendous mistake. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, Chargerify came out of it. Mm -hmm. Very successful company. We've sold it twice now. Like the return was good. You sold it. What do you mean you sold it twice? Uh, we sold it to a, a, a like a fund. Uh, and then we we kept our equity, so we rolled it forward, and then sold it to a, a, gotcha. a PE fund most recently. Gotcha. And, and rolled forward some of our equity again. So hopefully, okay. hopefully a third <laughs> Might time. Might sell a third time. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gift keeps on giving. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with. Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Um, what, what's your advice to entrepreneurs then that are building who are in that phase where maybe they're, they're starting? Because I, I feel like I'm asking this for myself because I, just, I get bored so, so like quickly. And it's hard for me to maintain the same level of energy and excitement about a venture when I get to that stage of building, right? Like three, four years in, it's just like, I, I feel like it's part of the entrepreneurial DNA to crave variety and uh, different challenges and things like that. It just kind of, what do you do when it gets boring? And how, like, how do you focus that energy to continue to build the thing that's doing well? Like the thing that you, should, the, the, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Yes. Yeah. It, it, I think it's a focus question. And for me, I, I don't tell people don't do the, 
the other stuff because that's actually where you learn and you get excitement that you bring back to the main thing. Okay. But it's how do I make sure I don't distract the people, the processes, and the dollars within the main thing? Mm. So kind of abstracting yourself out of that a little bit and saying like, I'm going to spend my time yeah, yeah. messing around with this stuff. Right. I'm going to bring back those learnings. But As a I'm part gonna be, of the broader vision of work. But I'm going to be very strict that I'm not going to mess with other people's time. Yeah. Because the context switching is just so expensive for mm. someone who's working within your main business, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to say it, context switching. Because then you, you pull focus from one thing to another thing. It, it's almost impossible to be in a flow state ever and like be working at your peak yeah. performance output, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and also naturally what humans do is like they gravitate to the most difficult thing, like the best, like people that are most productive mm -hmm. want to do the most difficult work. Yeah. And that's not always in the main business, right? Like sometimes that's just easier work that just has to be done. Yeah. Right. So it's the same thing that happens when you have a portfolio, you naturally gravitate to the worst companies to help them. <laughs> Where you should do the opposite and gravitate to the best companies and figure out how to accelerate those. To maximize them. Yeah, yeah. That's not what we do as kind of entrepreneurs and kind of humans in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, just uh, just another flaw that yeah. we have to all work through. Um, so coming out now, you are buying businesses, correct? And then so you have like a, a private equity fund yourself? Is this your own money? You have a pool of money? Is it you by yourself? You have partners in that? What does that look like? Yeah, it's more like a family office. So it's my okay. own capital or, or me and my business partner, really. Okay. Um, so, Same guy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've done a lot together. Uh, we look for very specific things, which is kind of a million to $2 million minimum EBITDA type okay. companies. Uh, some sort of recurring-ish revenue, yep. but I, I kind of define it as durable revenue, meaning like it could either be recurring or it could be a customer base that is very sticky. Uh, it doesn't have to necessarily be recurring, okay. but is also, you know, not dependent on the economy or other pieces, right? Okay. So really important things. Um, obviously, it's a hot trend now. People are buying HVAC companies and stuff like that. I, I don't like that. Okay. Um, although that is durable revenue. You can't not have AC, you know, it's Las Vegas. You have to have that's, air conditioning. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so are you looking at certain industries, certain sectors? No, we're pretty agnostic to that. Uh, in, although we don't play in um, kind of clothing and fashion, just because it changes too quickly, it's not okay. durable. Yeah. Uh, other than that, pretty flexible. And you know, we owned a direct-to-consumer company in the health space, uh, ketogenic uh, supplement snacks and, and and such. Okay. Uh, we sold that, um, and now looking at all sorts of different kind of companies. When you're evaluating these. What deals get done and which ones don't? I think that the stage that we sit in, the, the most interesting deals for us is ones that still have opportunity in them. Meaning we see a lot of founders try to sell on the idea like, I've optimized everything. Don't worry. It's like, that's not where we can add value. It's not really where any PE can add value if you think about it. There needs to be things left to do yeah. to transform value from one to five, sure. not just go one to two. Yeah, because you're because you're going to come in right. Are you buying like a hundred percent equity? Are you buying thirty percent? Okay, yeah. so you want to buy the entire business? Yeah. Have your own operator in there, or you try to keep the operator? No, we want to have our own operator. So you plug in your own operator, and then you want to find all the gaps, grow the company. 5x in three years yeah. and bounce. Yeah. Right. That's the strategy. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, or or hold it forever. Like I have no problem keeping okay. keeping the company forever. You do want to keep it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's cash flowing. Yeah, if it's, it's cash flowing positive. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So which deals don't get done then? So I'd say ones that uh, founders think they've optimized everything and they oversell on that. Uh, founders- So they're holding out on a too high of a valuation or something? Yeah, they're like, this is the best business ever. Like it just, mm. it's not the reality. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I think is quite interesting people miss is there's a lot of deals that progress from stage one, meaning like we get to offer, we get to agreement, there's opportunity, everyone's agreement. And it dies in the middle stage before a deal's complete, hmm. usually because someone has put in place a legal counsel who has not closed deals before and they screw it up. It's just, it's crazy what people do. And it, we've seen it time and time again. That's gotta be super frustrating. <laughs> it is. And, and the founder's frustrated too, right? Because they, they thought they had a deal in place. Right, right. <laughs> On average, how long does it take? I mean, we can close a deal in two weeks or two months. Um, okay, it just well, depends on founder easy. and ability to do due diligence and yeah, how move quickly, quickly can yeah. you vet the business, basically. Yeah. Where, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, this is, this is kind of what I've been thinking about doing, where do they get started with this? Like, like how, do you, how do you start with finding these types of deals? Like, how, how are you getting inbound on people that want to potentially sell um, and then how do you start vetting those and figuring out, you know, are, are these metrics even close to real yeah. and what are they hiding from us? And I feel like, I feel like there's so many ways to get screwed in this situation where you buy a business and then you get under the hood and you're like, oh, uh, this was not disclosed to us. You know what I mean? So how, how do you, how do you kind of avoid some of those mistakes and how do you get started with this? I think the best channel is cold outreach, okay. right? Like period. Um, now it's like LinkedIn or email, LinkedIn, email, disposal. phone calls, like yeah. depends on the industry, depends on the type of seller, depends on all of those pieces, but cold outreach, right? Like sourcing these deals yourself. Yeah. I like to see people utilize brokers from an education standpoint to see deals, not to buy things, but if you look mm. at what's being brokered. Just to touch as many deals as you can, basically. I want to see, like understand the metrics, like touches, just look at it again and again and again. And have it at least in a prepared package. So I think that's useful for that, not for deal flow. Okay. Um, from a you know how do you vet perspective, I caution people only buy things that you already own something like. So if you don't own an HVAC company, don't go buy one. Okay. Like I know that's not the cool trend right now. Like everyone's like, go do this. Go no. Like own something, understand it deeply, and then continue to buy in that space. Got it. Not just be like, I'm going to buy a car wash because I have a car. Well, okay. It's a little more complex than that, right? Yeah. Well, so how, how, like, if you are looking at businesses like that and you're like, I hear car washes are a great business and I'm 48 years old, I've been selling life insurance my whole career, but I'm kind of getting sick of that and I, and I want to get into another business you know, but I don't want to go just start a car wash. It makes more sense for me to just buy somebody else's, right? Like, is is that still a good idea? Like, or or should you try to work out some sort of a deal where you can work with them for a few months or something and earn? I mean, earn a minimum, I want to work at a car wash okay. for some period Just go of time. get a job. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Like, I don't care if it's a week even, but like, right. at least figure out if that's meaningful for what you want to do because you're going to have to do some of that work. Yeah. When you buy it, like you're right? gonna have to go to the shop, yeah, and open up the key, open up the door, whatever it is, right? Stand behind the counter a little bit, check out, you know, some customers, whatever. 
Yeah, they can get your hands dirty at some point. But like, I would step back and say, like, if if someone was insurance, I'd go look at buying an insurance broker. I'd go like go up market mm. within my space. Yeah. So I don't something have to sell insurance anymore. Yeah. But I could be the the guy who owns the insurance brokerage. I could be yeah. a software provider for the insurance industry. I could be. There are a lot of things I could do. Yeah. That still stick within what I know. Okay. When you are evaluating businesses, is there like, um, is there a certain level? I don't really know how to say this. Is, is there is there a certain level of boring versus sexy that you're looking for? <laughs> you know, like if like on the spectrum of like super super boring to really sexy, where are your deals ending up on that? As spectrum? boring as possible. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Yeah, like grasshopper, super boring, old phone system. Yep. We weren't voice over IP. We weren't cool. We didn't we had, we didn't have text messaging until like six years after our competitors because hmm. that wasn't our customer base. They didn't care about cool, sexy, bleeding edge technology or yeah, maybe yeah. not even bleeding edge. But uh, yeah, as boring as possible. Less competitors, less noise. Yeah, and it and all you got to do is do the things right, but just predictable, repeatable. Like yeah. like you said, pe- people need their AC serviced. People need their car washed. People need whatever to it wash is. Their clothes, yeah. The laundromat, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, we want we want to be in the business of you know providing something that fixes a problem, not not gives people a painkiller, right? Because painkillers you can get rid of. You want to fix the problem. If you have back problem problems, right? Like or pain, you want to fix the underlying thing. Yeah. So I want to be in that mm-hmm. industry. I don't want to be in the painkiller industry of being like, okay, well, I'm going to help your back pain for a little bit. Hmm. Right. Okay. So like a phone system, like this is an underlying thing you have to have as a business. Right. That's it. There's no like ifs, ands, buts about it where there's other auxiliary stuff. Like, could I have a cooler phone system? Could I have this thing that does this? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But none of that really matters. Like the underlying thing is I need a phone number. Right. (laughs) That's it. Like bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how you cut this, you're going to have to use this. Yeah. 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 is it even worth then being in some of these other spaces? Like, like worth it what it, way? Is it is it is it worth the pursuit of a sexy business? If you're starting from scratch, you're in your first business and you're like, you know, I have this idea, but it's brand new and it's never been tested before, but I think it could work and I'm gonna try it. And you you know, because like I feel like the, those types of those types of businesses are the ones that it's like out of a hundred of them. 95 of them are going to fail. Four of them are going to do 2 million a year and one of them is going to be worth $10 billion, yep. right? So like, is, is that even worth the pursuit at that point? I, I think it's, it is a worthwhile pursuit if you believe you, you have that, but you have to understand what you're signing up for, right? Like you have to be realistic. Like the chance is less than one in a hundred, yeah. right? Like it's even smaller, right? Yeah. The chance is so small. And if you're willing to sign up for that and take that chance because you have security in your life for the right time or whatever, that's fine. That's how innovation happens. Yeah. But don't think that you're signing up for something that's different. Like I'm going to get a business that is self-sustaining and whatever. Like that's not the game you're playing, which means you play differently. Hmm. You raise capital differently. You, you do the things to get there very differently than if you're building a boring business with fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't build a moonshot company by using boring business strategies. Yeah, yeah. Because you got to go from zero to a million in. And you want to be not necessarily first mover, right? But like you want to be the owner. Like the sure. It, it, there's a reason Tesla does 
great and everyone else building electric cars doesn't right because they are electric cars the electric car yeah yeah right yeah they became that yeah they are the industry yeah it's like jacuzzi right it's like it's not a jacuzzi it's a hot tub <laughs> it's, everybody just calls it a jacuzzi because yeah. that was the brand that yeah wasn't the most well known um and when you're building those companies you know you got it if it's gonna if it's potential to be that big then there's potential for capital to flood that space mm. and fund four of your competitors. And they will. So you better better get your ass moving yeah. and like working toward that goal basically. Yeah. But if you're doing HVAC, there's like 5,000 of those companies and you can still have one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can still come to that space and and do it and it's do well. With different it. business methods, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I, that's a, a question I've been asking myself lately is like, is it worth building the sexy business, man? Because like <laughs> sometimes like I, I beat myself up and you know, I'm sure every entrepreneur does and everybody does, but, um, I beat myself up for not, um, having like the entrepreneurial lens on like really early in my career. Cause I was just a sales guy, you know, and I, I didn't know what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. So I was just in solar sales, but I didn't realize at that time, the potential opportunity of what solar sales was, you know, I was just looking for who's going to pay me a better commission. So I ended up like in the alarm industry and then I ended up in the water industry and I just like, I was just like a hired gun, you know, like who's going to pay me more commission, who's going to yeah. pay me more commission. And it's like, I look back on it, I was like, man, I was selling solar in like 2011 in California and was doing really well with it at the time. But like really well was like, I'm making like 80K a year, but I was 19. So I thought it was balling, you know what I mean? Um, but then, but then you start realizing you, you get a little bit older, see some, get some experience under the belt and then start realizing like, oh my gosh, that opportunity was so much bigger than I thought it was yeah. at that time. And it's just a boring business. Like, so, I mean, maybe solar for maybe, maybe in 2011 solar was sexy, but yeah. it's a, it's a pretty boring business, man. It's utility bills. You know what I mean? But you have to pay a utility bill. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. So you if you find a business like that, you know, I, I guess I'm just, I, that's why, that's why I asked the question. I've just been thinking more about, you know, uh, if you're, especially if you're new, if you're green around the gills or a little, or, or a little bit in business, like it seems like to me, it's a better move to be in one of these boring places for a little while. Um, even if you have these like big goals and you want to build the billion dollar company, you think you have a good idea and you and blah, blah, blah. But to get the business fundamentals down, to understand how to like, how to operate the business to like, to, to, fractionalize each part of you know the you know sales and marketing and hr and finance and people and in and, and, and operations and you have like all these different things that has to be ran in a you know a coin operated laundromat as much as it has to be ran at salesforce a 50 billion dollar company yeah um and maybe getting your feet wet with the thing that's a little bit more predictable that's been around for 100 years that you know people are going to need in the next 12 months 24 months you know 60 months might be a better place to start out and, and gets you to understand the fundamentals of the business of business, right? And in like general, how it yeah. works. And then you can apply that to a moonshot idea if you really like want how to read a PL or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 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 But I, I, solar is a great example, right? Cause like people, like there, obviously there's a lot of people in solar sales now. Uh, but that doesn't mean like the only option is to run a solar company or a solar sales company or whatever. Like think about all the auxiliary things around that or like, all the software they have to run, yep. all of those things. Like, there's been massive businesses built on just software for solar sales. Yep. Then there's software for installation. None of it existed when I was and, doing it. Yeah, exactly. We were right? using like Google Sheets yeah. at the time, or uh, Excel so. There's, there's or just so many opportunities when you start to actually think about yeah. what's required, right? And that's the idea of like selling, you know, pickaxes for gold mining instead of actually gold mining, right? Yeah. And right. if you can understand what a trend shovel. is happening, then be the guy selling the shovel. Yeah. Yeah. While everybody else is pounding for gold. Yeah. 
Um, well, listen, dude, I, I appreciate you coming on. I, this is called Travis Makes Friends because I uh, I started the show along about six and a half years ago, almost seven years ago now. And the reason I did it was that I just wanted to completely transform my network. The show was actually originally called Build Your Network. And so it was all about like, I just want to get to know people that are better. And I want to learn how to improve my ability to go get around people that I would normally never be able to get the time of day with. Um, and it sounds like relationships have played a pretty integral role in your success and your career. Um, how would you describe the relationship that you have with like your core, you know, maybe four or five inner circle people and how has that, you know, accelerated you if at all in, in, in your career? That's a good question. So I'm naturally an introvert. So like I have a small group of friends, not a big group of friends. Um, but you go deep with those people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and have been, or been with them for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, you know, very long relationships. Uh, I, I don't think that any, any of them outside of my business partner necessarily influence my kind of business success or career. I, I have lots of other relationships that I can utilize from a business perspective. Um, but those are not deep, deep relationships. Okay. Uh, I, I, it's hard for me to build those relationships, um, with people in business for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's my guard is up. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, just, it hasn't been there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that, that core group of people I've known for 20 plus years. Yeah. And where, where do you think that you would be if you did not have that core group of people? I, I, I would definitely be lost. Like the, the there's a support system that you can't replicate. Yeah. Right. From an advice standpoint, from a life experience standpoint, from, you know, all of the things that are far more important than career. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why. Uh, so I asked this question, who you know or what you know, which one is more important and why? Um, and so, well, actually, first off, let me just ask you that question. Um, let me direct that to you and then I'll say what I was about to say. Yeah. I, I, I think it's the, the relationship is more important than who it is. Right. So meaning like it doesn't have to be someone famous and probably shouldn't be someone famous. Like when sure. you think about your core group of friends and people, yeah. um, I think it's about peers that you trust and respect mm. from there. Doesn't matter. Like I have friends that, you know, have regular jobs and are not entrepreneurs. I have friends that are entrepreneurs. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think that the advice or the help that I get from them is different because of what they're doing. Yeah. Or less than. Yeah, it's yeah. probably, there's no value placed on what they're doing. Sure, sure. So, so the reason I always come back to who, because I've been doing the show now for a long time and I get lots of different answers for that question now. It, it, it's technically only two choices, but people come <laughs> up with so many ways to answer. It's, it's uh, funny to me. Um, but I always come back to the who, man, because at the end of the day, relationships are like all we have. You know what I'm saying? Like when, you, when you're on your deathbed, that's the most important thing. And it's just like, yes, what you know is important. Yes. Building skills. Yes. Having competence. Yes. Uh, learning how to learn. Like there's a lot of different, you know, arguments to be made for that, especially in terms of, you know, fulfillment in your career, success in your career, um, how much money you're going to make. Obviously like a lot of that stems back to what, and the knowledge that you have, the wisdom you've gained over the years. But ultimately, I think that if you had somebody who was rich in relationships at the end of their life and somebody who was rich in knowledge and rich in wealth and finances and everything else, um, I think that the person with the relationships is going to be the happier, more fulfilled person. And like to me, like, isn't that 
isn't that really the goal? You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not, it's not really just about numbers or anything. And obviously all that stuff is great, but. I mean, no one said when they were dying, I wish I worked more or right, I wish right. I had a different boat or whatever, right? Like none of those things matter. Yeah. It's who you're there with. It's just the people. What, what are some, what are some ways that you try to pour into the people in your life? Practical ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the most basic is just continuing the conversation uh, all the time. Meaning like my best friends are not here. That means like I, I'm not calling here, them like physically Vegas. In Vegas yeah. yeah. Right. So like meaning I, I'm calling them every day. Like it's the little things that keep that relationship going that I think are most critical. Yeah. And as soon as you stop doing that, all of the more difficult things just go away, right? Like, meaning now uh, I can't have a difficult conversation because I'm not connected, right? I can't get mm. the help I need or give the help that I can give if we're not connected, yeah. right? And then you get in a situation where you're like, well, I was going to call Travis, but mm -hmm. whatever. So just using that muscle again and again and again to keep the relationship going. You got to dig your Simple. before you're thirsty. Yeah. Especially when it comes to relationships, man. Yeah. You can't just, that, that, that's the, that's the, the, the high school friend in the new MLM. You know what I mean? The, the person that did not dig their well before their Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. you get a random DM, random <laughs> Facebook message. You know, it's been 17 years since you've seen this person. And they're like, hey, do you keep your career options open? <laughs> Check you out this link. You want to buy Tupperware? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's how, that's how it usually ends up. And you immediately just block them and don't ever see them again, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, well, dude, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, what, what are you working on now that people watching, listening can go you know, yeah. be a part of. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like I, I've done podcasts before and like always like someone's promoting something. I'm like, I'm not really promoting anything. Yeah. Um, what, what I, I care about, like that's what's important. To, what's important to me is uh, I, I write a weekly newsletter. Um, those are kind of talking about the topics that we talked about here and a Great. bunch of other stuff. Um, DavidHauser.com. That has been probably one of my most fulfilling activities in the past five years. Really? Just Why do you write, think that is? writing every week. Right, writing every practice. week. Yeah, the practice of it, it's made me a better share and you know more vulnerable and hmm. um, across the board, I think a better person. Okay, so that's been super fulfilling for me, uh, and obviously engaging with people has been a you know a real great benefit uh, or side effect of that. Would you say it's more like a like a journal of the things that you're working on or going through? Or would you say it's more like a like a, a guide on how to build businesses? Like how exactly would you describe it if you were trying to convince somebody to sign up for it? I'd say it's the three things that I'm thinking about in the week. Okay. Uh, and that could range from finance and money and entrepreneurship to parenting okay. uh, and, and such. Like uh, yesterday I wrote two of the three pieces and one is uh, on the idea of um, this German uh, economist who said, what, what would happen if money expired? Hmm. Right. And how, what would that do to our economy if like you actually had to spend money? Yeah. Uh, and unlike interest, which benefits the holder, uh, it actually costs you money to, it costs you dollars to hold cash. Hmm. Uh, so like writing about that, like, so I really like digging into different topics. So it, it, it's what I'm kind of thinking about or reading right. about. That's at davidhauser.com. Yeah. H-A-U-S-E-R. Yep. Yep. davidhauser.com if you guys want to go check out some more from from david and um hear what he's thinking about which i guarantee is going to be very valuable <laughs> uh then head over to davidhauser.com and check out some of that stuff 
Um, David, thanks for coming to the show, man. Um, I, I, I feel like we should, I feel like we should do this more often, uh, yeah. at least hang out, grab some dinner or something. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm going to see you at the gym every know, day, really? right? So <laughs> now, now it's going to be like, Oh, I actually, I actually know who you are, but that was so funny, dude. You walked in. I was like, have I seen this guy before? <laughs> so, uh, well, Hey dude, I appreciate you coming on again. Uh, I'll see you at the gym. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.